Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of I Believe Now What? Today, we are going over some verses, a nice good chunk of verses from Matthew chapter 13. And specifically, we are going over the parable of the sower. If you are new to this channel, we are a podcast that is directed towards just building up the body of Christ and grace and knowledge. We do topical Bible studies. We do verse-by-verse Bible studies. We do various Christian topics and talk about current, event, uh, current events, if I can find my words, uh, and how they impact Christianity. Pretty much anything, all things Christian, Christ-centered. If you are a believer, hopefully you'll be edified in this. That is to gain some good knowledge, knowledge and truth in the spirit. And if you are not a believer, please stick around because by all means, I hope that you are convinced to believe. All right. Anyways, without further ado, let's go over Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be talking about specifically, as I said, the parable of the sower. I also want to add in here real quick because it's in my notes and I always forget about it. If you do have any questions, comments, you just want to say anything, go ahead, drop us a message. We're on Facebook. We are on Twitter. You just look up I Believe Now What should pop up. And if you want to, uh, just because we talked about it a little bit last time, I do post a lot on TikTok uh, gospel messages. You can find me at Saved by the Savior. For some reason, I just did not name it as the podcast because... Uh, you know, if you're listening, I just wasn't sure if that was going to be a thing or not. But, you know, it turned out to be a pretty decent ministry. And by the way, before we do get in, we are going to have a full-on episode where we talk about, quote-unquote, TikTok Christianity. And specifically diving into the benefits and the downfalls of the Christian community on TikTok. Um, still preparing for that and going over that and... Really want to get my notes down good because I do not want to put out anything that can, one, make anybody stumble, and two, I just want to be well-educated on the subject. All right, so here we go. The question here that we are posing, why do we believe, why do others fall away, why do others falsely believe, and why others reject? That is the main question here. And I picked Matthew chapter 13 out of this because I believe it gives us the best case of this and explaining. Um, As we explain each category, just keep in mind that you can find parallel passages on this parable uh, in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. So if you want to cross-reference, we're going to be specifically looking at Matthew, but you can cross-reference those there. All right, let's go ahead and read out the entire thing, and then we'll break it down as we normally do. All right, Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1. And that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and a large crowd gathered to him. So he got on a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on a beach. <laughs> Just stop right there real quick. I love this. This is, this is Jesus preaching a sermon from a boat. Everybody's out there on the beach gathered around. I just picture that in my brain. All right, pick, picking up on verse 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. 
and others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, man, that's, I'm going to pause right there on verse, verse 11. That's, that's some heavy stuff when you really break it down. Let's read that again. Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Oh, that's scary. Verse 12, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, If you will keep on hearing, but will, or you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see their, with their eyes, and they would hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And now as we move into verse 18, Jesus begins to explain this parable. Verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whose seed was sown beside the road. The one whom seed was sown in the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom the seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. All right, let us pray before we get into this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just given us your word, Lord, given us this technology to be able to do this. I hope that we glorify you, Lord. Our goal is to glorify you in all we do, and we pray that this message glorifies you as we look at your word. Your will alone, Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's go ahead and break this down. Honestly, this parable is amazing because Jesus here gives the explanation right after he says it. I love that. Uh, let's let's go over a few baselines before we really start digging in. All right, first off, this parable, just recognize this. This parable, it's not about you. This is not, I know, uh, if you're a Stephen Furtick fan, you're probably like, what, it's not about me? Okay, uh, joking, joking. All right, so first off, this parable is not about you. This is not a lesson on how to go from some hard path soil to the good soil. This is about Jesus 
and his message, okay? So first off, right there, it's not about you. This is about Jesus and his message. So who is the sower in this? The sower is Jesus. Some people might go on to say and believe that, you know, that, oh, I'm the sower because I'm the one giving God's word and spreading it and all this stuff. No, that's not the case. God sent his son in the world so that his son could proclaim this message. We do preach the message, but Jesus was the one who proclaimed it. Jesus was the one who is working through us. Jesus is the sower. Salvation doesn't come from us. Salvation comes from the Lord. The claim that Jesus is the sower, it's it, its not something that's just from conjecture or something that people have concocted or I've concocted. This is something that we can actually see in Scripture. Check out Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 11 for that. And we'll read it actually right now. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, once again, Isaiah, I know I go fast sometimes, but Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth and will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I have sent it. Now, real quick on that passage, I have heard a lot of pastors comment on this passage falsely, wrongly, um, they'll take this as it doesn't matter who's teaching the word. God's word will not return back void. Um, and they'll try to twist that in defense of people preaching. You know, there, there are some pastors out. And granted, heart's in the right place. They don't want to cause turmoil. They don't want to cause strife in the Christian community. So they'll say it doesn't matter who's teaching. It could be Joel Olstein or, or Kenneth Copeland or Creflo Dollar. You know, God's word won't return back void. Well, those aren't the people that this is referring to. God is the one who implants the word. God is the one speaking it. God is the one ensuring that it does not return back void. So if this person that is preaching is not a Christian or they, they're preaching falsely, God's not in that word. So it's not his word going back out to you. Anyways, digressing on from that. All right. The seed, still on the ground rules here. The seed. The seed is talking about the word of the kingdom, as Jesus said, or in my own words, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news, the message of the kingdom. The different types of soils, who are they? Well, they represent us, and we're going to go over that. Those soils represent us. So in a way, you could say, oh, uh, you might say like, oh, Tim, you just said it's not about us. No, it's not about us. But the different types of soils here, that is pretty much every single person in the world. Jesus is explaining there's four different types of people in the world in this context, uh, and these are the people we're going to be breaking down. So let's go ahead and do that. Number one, the first soil. I call this the unbeliever. Let's go ahead and read that verse 19 real quick. Jesus said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one will come and snatch it away, uh, what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. All right. So once again, I label this the unbeliever. This is the person who just straight up says, no, nah, don't want it, don't believe it, don't care to believe it. One question that honestly comes up at some point in time in a Christian's life is, why do we believe and others do not? I really believe verse 19, Jesus tells us uh, exactly why right here, why his gospel message 
comes out and people just don't understand it or straight up reject it because the message has landed on bad soil or as this passage says, the road where it can't really make root, it can't grow, it can't produce fruit. It is impossible for that seed to take that root and instead it gets snatched up, never to grow. Now, we want to take caution on this because we don't know men's hearts. And it's easy to go back and say, oh, well, uh, you know, I gave you the gospel, but guess what? You're, you're, you're just the, the soil that's the hard path road. That's why you're not getting it. We, don't, we can't truly do that. Uh, we don't know men's hearts, so we can't judge salvation. That is for God to judge alone. God is the only one who knows the heart. So don't go around saying which type of soil somebody truly is. This is more of something that you can look at for self-reflection when someone is reading this. And God's honestly, like I said, giving us the explanation to why we believe and others do not. So don't judge someone's salvation based off of this. And plus, you don't know, even if they deny Christ in the beginning, you don't know how God might work in their life and they end up coming to salvation. But apart from God's supernatural work, we as humans, we are so, and this is really me getting into the teaching now of it, apart from God's supernatural work, we as humans are blinded by our own sin. We are unable to understand the things of God, period. And and this doesn't mean like uh, uh, an intellectual understanding, because you can have that. You can have an intellectual understanding of the Bible, what it says, you know, get a theological degree, get an MDiv but still have no spiritual inward understanding. Now, the intellectual side, that can definitely come, but it's the spiritual side that changes first. The intellectual side gets built up later. Don't trust on the intellectual side. you got to trust on that inward understanding of the Spirit. And this lines up exactly, honestly, with what Apostle Paul wrote when he quoted uh, various Psalms in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, specifically on the topic of You know, people, general, uh, unregenerate people just don't understand God's word and even us before we became believers. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 reads it like this. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not even one. There is none who understands. There are none who seek after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace that they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Once again, when you want to look at examples of these types of people, this type of soil, this is anyone who just straight up refuses to believe. And once again, I want to be very, very clear. Don't go on judging people. But understand that when somebody just straight up does not believe, refuses to believe, is a self-proclaimed atheist, a proud atheist, they do have the possibility of being that hardened path soil. And the word was snatched up. That word, too, I want to specifically say, when the seed is snatched up, that's snatched up, uh, they liken it to like birds of the air, uh, which are pretty much Satan and the demons. They are snatching that gospel truth 
away from those people. Because that's ultimately what Satan's trying to do. He doesn't want people to believe. He doesn't want people to profess Christ. And he snatches that word of truth away and blinds them and hardens their heart. I mean, really, we're hardening our own hearts with our own sinful ways, but Satan is trying to keep that hardening going. Hopefully I explained that right. Anyways, let's move on to the second one. This is the person that I call the ones who walked away from the faith. The ones who walked away from the faith. So chapter 20, or chapter 20, my goodness, verse 20. The one, whom, uh, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only, it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, there is a few modern applications to this parable, especially this area that we can really explore with this. And I'm going to spend some time here. So, number one, just know these are people that are coming to Christ based on the benefits of being a Christian without any real change of heart. So, essentially, they're not truly coming to Christ. They're, they're coming to what their idea of Christ is in their own mind. They created a God of their own mind, not the God of the Bible. And they come for things such as like physical healing, money, social reasons, emotional highs, all these different things. But there is no change of heart. They're just looking for these surface level things. It, it kind of goes along the lines of, you ever heard the evangelism technique? Oh, Jesus has an amazing and wonderful plan for your life. And they'll go, oh, really? Me too. I have an amazing, wonderful plan for my life. Sounds like me and this Jesus guy can get along together. This, These are the type of people that you see. And honestly, these are the type of people that you see coming out of a lot and targeted a lot by what's called the seeker-sensitive churches. These are churches, if you've never heard that term before, that really look to please the flesh. And they have a very poor theology, and they are probably the guiltiest in this area of just creating a breeding ground for this type of soil. Now, I'm not going to say that seeker-sensitive churches don't have Christians in them, or they weren't started by Christians, or they didn't have the, uh, or they didn't have good intentions when they started it. But ultimately, they're not teaching the full gospel story. They're only teaching half of it, if even that. These are the churches that rarely talk about sin, and they only want to talk about the blessings. What benefits you? What benefits you? How can Christ benefit you? I've heard someone pretty much say very well, the Bible is not about you. Christianity is not about you. Christianity is about God and his glory. That is what it's all about. The fact that he sent his son in his own purpose to save sinners like us was not for our benefit. It was for his glory. And that moves us on to point number three. The next breeding ground, emotionally driven churches. This type of soil thrives in emotionally driven churches. These, on my opinion, are the most dangerous in this category. Because while some preach actually a, a passable, decent gospel message, this is the church that relies on music, lights, mood setting, which drives to an emotionally driven response rather than a true spiritual response. The worst thing to come out of churches like this, in my humble opinion, 
was the altar call. And I don't know if you, one of the benefits, if you want to call it a benefit of being in the military, it was I'm always uprooted and moving every three years. So in that process, I'm always searching for a new church. And I get to very, uh, visit various types of churches because a lot of churches are very vague when it comes to their mission statement or when it comes to their uh, what they teach or what they believe category. They're very vague, very, you know, it's very copy and paste. So you got to go there and actually experience it to see what's going on. And one of those things was I would see churches like this and go there. And after every message, because I would, I, I usually use the three rule try. If it's not horrible right off the bat, I go at least three times before I really make a decision. Uh, and uh, churches like these, though, they are the church that will give an altar call pretty much after every sermon. I mean, the script is all too much the same. They'll put an overemphasized praise and worship music environment in the beginning, get people hyped up. They'll get people all jazzed up and feeling good and giddy and emotional highs are all over the place. And now the congregation is just super emotionally charged from hearing that music that just sounds so good. And honestly, today, and there's a science behind this, a lot of Christian praise and worship music is scripted perfectly to give you those goosebump effects based off tones and melodies and certain ways that they use the tones. And it, it's kind of scary. And, and I'm not going to go ahead and say they do it for nefarious purposes. Some might be. Uh, they might have good intentions behind it, but they need to know that they're not getting all the time a positive response to Christ. They're getting an emotionally charged response, which isn't from the heart. But anyways, they're hearing this music, they're all pumped up, they're all amped up based off of praise and worship, then the pastor comes up to preach. And while the message may even be a solid and biblically sound message, most of these messages normally, from my experience, and what I've seen on various YouTubes while studying this, is they, they barely scratch the surface of what the true message actually is. The sermon will last only where around, you know, only around 15 to 30 minutes. And the while the pastor is closing, one of the typical script lines is the pastor has the praise and worship team start playing some, you know, light emotional music in the background. And then the pastor's speech is resonating with the music and you get this emotional high all over again. And everybody starts crying or they start shouting. And the next thing you know, an altar call is given. In this, in, in, in an altar call, in this emotionally charged environment, many people are going to come up superficially to confess Christ and the Lord. And you might be saying, well, Tim, you don't know if it's superficial. I'm like, no, I don't 100% know it's superficial. But when I go to churches and I see the same, this same script, because uh, I, in my walk of Christianity, I've gone to many different types of churches when I was just trying to find and growing in grace and knowledge. I was reading my Bible more, a church that's right for me. I attended one of these churches and these churches, you would see the same people every time going up to the altar call, rededicating their life to Christ or saying that, you know, they, 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 that they lost their salvation and they need to believe again, something along those lines. You can tell that whatever happened the first time, which was probably the same script, is happening all over again, and it wasn't causing a real change. And that in there is the problem. We're trying to cause the change when we aren't the ones who cause it. It is God who causes the change. We don't save people. God saves people. Now, I'm not saying a true conversion cannot take place at an altar call. Uh, I'm not saying that by any means. But once again, 
I point out to the many times, and I don't know if you've seen it, but like I said, the same person running up to the altar call five or six times in the past, crying their eyes out, and superficially jacked up on an emotional high, thinking that they're believing when their heart truly just isn't changed. It's a surface-level emotional thing. And now, don't get me wrong, I'm not bragging on emotions. I'm not uh, sitting here saying we need to do praise and worship with our arms straight down our sides, standing at position of attention, no movement whatsoever, can't say amen, can't do none of that. No, I'm not saying that. Shout to the Lord. Make an emotional statement. Praise God. Jump up and down. Lift your hands. Do whatever you want to glorify God if it's in line with the Bible, in line with the Bible, mind you. I got to be very careful when I say do whatever you want. If it's in line with the Bible, do it and glorify God that way. Emotions can work amazing with our faith. But the point is, is what I said already. We cannot influence a person's true profession of faith by using a a methodology of music, lights, sermons, etc. It's God who works in the heart. It's God who causes that profession of faith. This emotionally driven church, this is the church that looks more at numbers rather than quality. And I've heard it before. I've been helping out churches and they'll look at attendance numbers and they try to keep count of everything and they judge based off of what they do based off the numbers of attendance that they have. It's not really a quantity thing. This is a quality thing that we're looking at. So the matter and the method used to spread the seed, the people in this category will accept Christ, you know, very superficially when the but when, just as Jesus said, when the persecution starts coming, the hard times start coming, temptation is creeping its ugly head in, they're going to count up all the costs and it's going to be too steep for them and they're going to go back to their worldly ways because of the shallowness of their roots. They don't have strong roots. When that persecution comes in, they're gone. They get blown away in the wind, they wither up, they're gone. And sadly... Like I said, in those emotional-driven churches, they will keep coming back over and over and over again, just living in a state of limbo. It's a very sad thing. All right, let's move on to soil number three. This is the one who I say, the one who believes but cares more about the world. Chapter, uh, I keep saying chapter, verse 22. And the one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This, in my mind, gives the perfect explanation for those who profess Christ as Lord, but when they do so, they do it with their mouth and not their actions. You can look up a verse in Titus for that one specifically. Those who profess Christ but deny Him by their actions. This verse right here, Verse 22 gives one of the greatest explanations in my mind about people who hold to a, and I'm using little quotes here, prosperity gospel. If you don't know what the prosperity gospel is, it is a twisting of scripture into what benefits you. It almost plays into what we were talking about in the last category. What benefits you? What benefits you? God wants you rich. God wants you full of money. God wants you to have all these worldly things. But there's no preaching of repentance. There's no preaching of 
self-examination. There's no preaching of living a humble, meek life in servitude to God. These are people who are consumed with the temporary blessings in life. They want money. They want health. They want fame. Like I said, it's very close to the next, to the previous one. But they refuse to fully trust God for all that they need. And if you want, go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 5 on that one. It tells you God is going to provide you all you need. They're looking for God to provide them all they want. Big difference there between want and need. And while these two are very similar, uh, the second one and this third one that we're going over, the key difference here is these people will usually keep saying that they're a Christian. They won't say they've abandoned the faith. They won't say that the cost is too high. They walk around believing that they're saved while they're really seeking after the things of this world. And I'm not making a blanket statement that saying everyone that attends one of these prosperity churches is this way. We don't know how we don't know how God truly works in this and how he brings them out of those places. But for the most part, people who really stick to these churches and stick to these types of teachings, they're only in it for themselves. But yet they'll still profess Christ all along the way, but not for God's glory, but for their glory. The seed, which is the word here, was sown and it just, it, it actually took root from the way I believe it. It doesn't say that specifically, uh, but it doesn't say it didn't happen either. But in my own mind, I believe that seed took some root. It was, it produced a plant, but that plant bore no fruit whatsoever because that plant was choked out by thorns. And what are those thorns? That was the inward belief that people had when they look at only what benefits themselves and not what benefits the kingdom. So the issue here isn't will the root will the seed, you know, grow roots and grow. It's what it does. It's where it was sown is what matters. And we saw it was sown amongst the thorns. And those thorns choke the tree and deprive it of bearing any fruit. It's sucking the nutrients out of it. And a tree without fruit is absolutely useless. Just as Jesus talked about in John 15. So useless, in fact, that Jesus said that any branch that does not bear fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. And then we move on to point number four, or soil number four, really. The true believer. And it is my prayer that every single one of you listening to this is this. And if you're not, I pray that God works in your heart and you come to a belief. Let's read it. Verse 23. And the one who's, and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, and who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is the one who, when they hear the gospel message, God works in their heart. They forsake the things of this world and they truly confess Christ as Lord, submitting to him. Now, this does not mean that their life uh, is going to be perfect, that this tree that has grown from this seed is going to be absolutely perfect. Storms are going to come. Winds are going to blow. Floods are going to loosen that soil up around. Thorns will try to go up the trunk of the tree and choke it out. But these roots are strong and deep and the tree will indeed persevere and bear good fruit that is pleasing to God. 
This is the example of the one who is truly saved, while all the others that we talked about are not. Now, one key thing before we, we're wrapping it up here and getting to the end, one key thing before we close, I do want to mention what it talks about. Some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30. What is that talking about? That just means that we're all going to produce different levels of fruit. There's some people who are going to produce 100-fold of fruit, some 60, and some 30. We're all different people, and God is using us for different purposes. And obviously, while God does uh, forecast or put out the way that we should go, reference that in the Psalms, uh, he orders our steps as we go along, and he has a purpose in everything. And we've talked about this before. There's a paradox. We do have a free will, but at the same time, only what God allows. How does that all work together? How do we have free will when God's ordaining uh, so much and ordering our steps? I don't know. We'll figure it out when we go to heaven. It's a paradox, but it's a paradox that I truly believe because the Bible teaches that, and I believe it. Period. No question in my brain whatsoever. I don't have to fully understand everything. I read it and I believe it. And I actually find confidence that I can trust in my God, the only God, who knows things that I can't possibly comprehend. I find confidence in that. So everyone grows at different paces and everyone grows at different heights and produces various amounts of fruits. Honestly, it's my prayer that may God just grant us to be that good soil. He works in our heart and makes us that good soil that receives his word in faith and obeys. Let's go ahead and end in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we dived in, it is my prayer that everyone listening, Lord, that, 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 that their soil is good, that you've tilled that land, Lord. It's rich with nutrients, and when that gospel message lands, they hear that good news, Lord. The good news that your son died on the cross to save us from our sins. You sent a sacrifice to save us. A sacrifice that required no other sacrifices after. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray, your will alone. Amen. Amen.